2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 17. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Abba, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're grateful for how you speak to us in season. You give us exactly what we need and that, Lord, you, you want to shape us and make us whole. You want to see us know more of your heart and live in it. And so, God, we pray that today you would remove all the obstacles. You remove all the distractions. And that in their place, Holy Spirit, you would come. You would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we would follow after our good shepherd. And that nothing would stand in the way. So help us to taste and see freshly today just how good you are. And Lord, glorify your name in this place. We ask in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Did, did I just hear Esther in here? Yes. Hallelujah. Esther's back. We've missed you, sister. Amen. We have been praying for you. Amen. And uh, one thing I, I forgot to mention, uh, we have a county wrestling champ in our midst, and Jaden, we're very proud of you, brother. So great job. And I'm going to embarrass him just a little bit more, one of our high schoolers here. He loves when I talk about him, by the way, especially from the front, um, is uh, when his mom, Paulie, asked him, like, what he's been praying about, because he was praying that whole day. He sa she said, are you praying to win? He said, no, I'm just praying that I won't give up, that God will give me the strength to be strong for him. And we praise God for that. That's a man who gets it right there. You get it. And we're proud of you, brother. All right, so speaking of... Uh, teenage boys, one of the things we're going to talk about today is this question. What's 
that smell? Now, this honestly is a common question when you have teenage boys in the house. It is. We need to be honest. There's no offense here, okay? So I don't want to hear any of this when we get home. Don't be embarrassed. This is just true. But that question, when you smell something, is always followed up by a second question. Do you know what it is? Where did it come from, right? Yeah. Who did it? Where, where does that smell come from, right? Because sometimes you're, you're exercising and you get really stinky. So maybe, did you shower, right? Like, did you shower after you exercised? Or how about this? What did you eat? This is Jeremy bringing back MREs as a Christmas gift for my boys. And let me just say, that did not turn out so well on the other side of eating that, right? What did you eat? Or maybe, did you step in something? Right? Like, have you checked your shoes? The question is, is, is regularly trying to find the source of the stench so the stench does not continue. And as a father of teenage boys, that stench can be pretty potent. And you know what I'm talking about, right? So where is that smell coming from? I don't know how Matt's picture got on this, but uh, Matt was supposed to be here this morning. Matt, if you're watching online, we love you. And this was just to say, we love Matt and our college students are going back. I think he might be one of our last ones. And so please remember, shameless plug, to pray for our college students as they go back. Amen? So you can ask the same question when it comes to your teenage daughters. But let me just say, it often comes, at times comes from a very different perspective, right? So is that a new perfume? Is that a new conditioner I smell? Are you baking, you know, desserts? Like, teenage girls tend to smell really nice, right? Like, as opposed to teenage boys. I don't know where the dis disconnect is. I wish they would learn from them a little bit, right? But it's a very different question with very different answers. And so what's that smell is, a, is the same question with two very different answers. And believe it or not, that is precisely where we're going this morning, as we continue in our sermon series through the book of 2 Corinthians, we're asking the same question about an odor that's going to have two very different possible answers, and we need to know which one is true of us. Because all kidding aside, teenage boys don't always smell bad, and teenage girls don't always smell good, right? But when the Bible talks about something that you heard Kristen read, the aroma of Christ... We want to lean in there and understand not only what it is, but how do we begin to smell like our Savior? Review. We've been in this now. This is our third week in this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. Two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of no pain, no gain. Like you see in the gym where, you know, you've got to really pump your muscles. It's going to hurt. It's going to feel in the moment like nothing's happening, like only bad stuff is happening. The pain is going to make you want to give up. But if you don't, over time, what you'll see is gains. Jesus says, hey, that's how a relationship with me works. In the moment, it's going to feel like pain sometimes. And that pain is going to tempt you to want to give up and to think terrible things about me. In the same way that sometimes you hate your trainer in the gym, right? Like, just stop pushing me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. But as you listen and lean in, the gains are better than you could have imagined. And that is exponentially true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, who says, as you share in my sufferings, so you will share in my comfort and my glory. Last week, Pastor Tommy talked to us about this idea, holding on to the twofold boast, that as Christians, our boast is in Christ who has gone before us and shown us what this looks like, but it's also in one another as we live life together and as we see that same Jesus through the power of his spirit shape and change one another learning to boast there, to set our hopes there, 
rather than any other place. And this morning, we're going to talk about this. Forgiveness is the aroma of life. Forgiveness is the aroma of life. So first of all, we're jumping back into this conversation, just like Tommy talked about last week, that if you don't know the first letter to the church in Corinth, you're going to be confused as to what's actually going on. So throughout this series, we're going to keep jumping backwards to 1 Corinthians so you can understand a little bit of the context. And today I'm going to give you some broad context so that, again, you can see maybe specifically what Paul's referring to here because he's talking about an actual event. In fact, he says in this letter, 2 Corinthians, the punishment by the majority is enough. He's referring to something that they already know about. Let me highlight for you three different things that were going on in the church in Corinth and the one that I think is actually in view for us this morning. So the first one is this idea of celebrity church culture. Thankfully, we don't struggle with that in our culture. So you can just tune out for now and then come back when we're done with this point. Please note the sarcasm. Right? We absolutely struggle with this for the same reasons that they do. Right? So in verse 12, in, in chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. In other words, what's going on in the church in Corinth is they have these huge leaders, these celebrity leaders. And some of them are saying, well, Paul's better than Apollos. And Apollos is better than Cephas, who's Peter, right? So the one I follow happens to be the best, which is usually the case, Right? the one that I'm following. And why is that? It's because when you get to be close to greatness, it kind of rubs off on you. The greater you, that Paul's star can rise, if I'm Paul's boy, then the greater my star is. And so it sounds kind of like James and John, the sons of thunder, right? When they said to Jesus, hey, can, can we sit at your right and your left? Who's the greatest disciple? We want to be that, and that, that same sin pattern rings true in our own lives, even within the church, even when we think about those that we admire, those that we want to be like, those that we want to follow. And what we end up doing is we take Paul, who emphasizes a lot mission and church planting, right, and going out, and we pit him against Peter, who wants to talk a lot about obedience and learning to lay down your life for Jesus as he's laid down your life for him. Now, they both talk about both of those things, but each of them has a little bit of an emphasis in their teaching. And if we don't have both, we miss the whole gospel. So when I sacrifice one on the altar of the other, I actually miss, don't miss this, Jesus. And I miss the fully orbed gospel, the good news that he has for me, all because I'm trying to make something of myself, as opposed to allowing Jesus to do whatever he needs to do to make me more his. Because in case we missed it, there is only one who is the greatest, and his name is Jesus. And as we put our faith in him, he makes us like himself. What? He's not less concerned for your greatness. He has a far better picture of what greatness in your life and through your life was always meant to be. Celebrity culture. But it's also about this idea of preferring message, right? Like, it's not just the, the things they emphasize. It's also how, how oftentimes they come down hard. Like, Paul, like uh, Tommy talked about last week with Paul writing to this church in Corinth. He had to criticize them of a lot of things. He had to hold them accountable. He had to exercise discipline. And you don't like it when you get disciplined. 
You don't like it when someone calls you out. You don't like it when people disagree, right? So there's a, there's a deep sense of, I, I don't want to hear what I don't want to hear, but I want to be around those who are great so that I can be great. And that's why oftentimes, not only do we have the celebrity culture, but we have a church hopping culture. I'm going to go from this church to this church to this church to this church because I want to hear what my itching ears want to hear. Or... This church is is nice, but they're lacking this over here. So I'm going to get this over here, and I'm going to get this over here. I'm going to get this over here, as opposed to recognizing that one of the reasons why you're in any particular church, whether it's All Souls or anywhere else, when you see the gap, do you know why Jesus sent you to that church? It's not simply to stand in judgment. It's to help fill the gap. Because we are all one body, and we speak the truth and love to one another so that we grow up into Christ, who is our head. And so whether it's here or anywhere else, when you see the gap, help fill the gap, right? And that'll guard us from this last point here, this demonizing the them, right? When, when folks disagree or when there's, there's teaching that maybe makes us uncomfortable or that we, we just don't want to hear, we say, well, that must be, that's not just wrong, that's of the devil, right? So it allows us to push ourselves, insulate ourselves from that, and then our heart is safe over here. Guys, this isn't easy to hear, and I get that. But please recognize, these aren't my words. These are the words of our Abba Father through his servant Paul to this church called Corinth that as we continue to unpack, you're going to hear again and again, is a whole lot like us in a culture that's a whole lot like ours. And remember what the point of this entire letter and our sermon series is. It's learning how to walk in a very broken world and culture as those who are deeply rooted in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a hopeful, full of the Spirit, full of truth message for us that we need to be ready to engage. So the first, uh, church celebrity culture. The second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about lawsuits between believers. And the idea here is living in a culture of offense where they were intoxicated with self-righteousness. Again, this doesn't relate to our culture at all, right? (laughs) There in Corinth, they were all about saying, I am not going to let you do wrong by me. In fact, I'm going to turn to unrighteous judges in our culture to hold you accountable to a standard of righteousness that I believe the world needs to see that I actually am and have. As opposed to saying, when you sin against me, I'm going to be, please hear this word, unoffendable. Can we say that together? Unoffendable. In Christ, we are empowered to be unoffendable. Offense is the bait of Satan, friends. Taking offense when someone hurts me simply means that we're going to stay trapped in it. And I'm going to unpack more of that in the next point. But please hear this. We were created in Christ to be unoffendable. That doesn't mean we ignore what's happening. It doesn't mean we don't practice wisdom and boundaries. What it means is my heart posture towards God and towards every person in my life, even the people who are hurting me the most, is I am unoffendable. I will not take offense because that is a trap for me to fall in and stay stuck in. It keeps me from knowing him and loving one another like I'm designed to, and therefore it keeps me stunted in my growth. In Christ, 
I am unoffendable, which means <laughs> I'm willing to suffer. You were hoping that I would just move on to the next slide, weren't you? <laughs> You're like, he's only <laughs> talking about that first point. To be unoffendable means I'm willing to suffer. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the, the apostles. When he's challenging them about them taking offense, the church, he says, here's what we as apostles have been. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Yay. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, right? I don't want that. I don't want that to be my story. I don't want to live into that. But the truth is, there are going to be seasons and relationships where I'm going to be treated this way. When Jesus says this, you've heard us say this a million times, let today be a way, a day that you hear it differently. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. How many of you pick up a cross and go to Disney World? Because that's what carrying a cross feels like. It's just fun and joy and lots of large rodents, right? Like, none of us consider cross-carrying fun. We can be honest about that. Jesus didn't consider it fun either. But if there's purpose in your suffering, guess what you're willing to do? Endure. Because where there is no pain, there is no Thank you. This is the message of the cross before it's the message of any other area of our lives. Do you think the author, who has literally knit everything together so that what looks like a jarbled mess can become this beautiful tapestry, that he's already said, I know the beginning, I've written the end, and I'm taking you there. Do you think he's not worthy of all of our trust even and especially in those moments when all we feel is pain. If we, friends, live in a culture of offense, what we will do is treat one another like the enemy when we only have one enemy. We can be instruments in his hands. Let's not be that, friends. But we only have one enemy. And he is a deceiver. And he knows what cords to strike in your heart so that you're tempted to do the very thing we're talking about here. Take offense. Wherever that's coming up in your heart right now, can I encourage you to be honest? To be honest about those that maybe have hurt you, that maybe you are tempted to take offense towards. Can you be honest and just hold on to them? Their names, that pain, hold on to it. And listen to what the Lord has to say as we keep going. This is our second, our third, the third area in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about sexual immorality. A culture of of self-gratification where specifically in that church there was a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And not only was he doing that, he was boasting in that. He was saying, look at what I can do and not just get away with. I am able to do this and still follow Jesus. I'm a Christian who has my father's wife. This is what's going on in the church in Corinth. Remember, Corinthians became a verb in the ancient world that talked all about the different ways that debauchery was celebrated. 
So this wasn't simply they came up with this great idea. They're living in a culture that literally worships Aphrodite, the demon of love, which, by the way, is the opposite of love. The demon that says, you are my vehicle for self-gratification. I can treat you however I want. Because that's actually how you worship Aphrodite. You go to the temple and you gratify yourself with one of her many prostitutes. And you know what they were telling those prostitutes? This is how you engage in power. Use your body to dominate those men. Exchange oppression for oppression. Please don't miss this. We cannot and will not be able to use the weapons of the enemy to gain the freedom of the king. If all you're doing is exchanging offense and oppression for oppression, then oppression plus oppression does not equal freedom. It just means more oppression. You keep the cycle going. No matter who's in control, you just keep the oppressive cycle going. If, you, if you're doubting my words here, just go back and look at history. Every country that's ever existed has, is only existing in this moment because they defeated the ones who were there before them. Look at the history of England. How many different cycles of kings and princes do you have that are just destroying one another so that they get to be number one? This is the same thing that happens in a culture of sexual immorality, which is what 1 Corinthians, which is what Corinthian, or Corinth rather, was all about. They were a culture of sexual immorality and self-gratification. And this is the, precisely the sin that I think is in view in our text for this morning. Here's why. Because it's, Paul says the punishment by the majority. Well, this is the only sin in 1 Corinthians that we know actually was punished by the majority. So it could be something else. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But I think it's this. It says, deliver this man over to Satan. This was the, these were the instructions. Deliver this man over to Satan. Let me just pause right there. If Paul says about you, deliver this man or woman over to Satan, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Can we just say that out loud? If, if, if I heard God's messenger say, deliver will over to Satan, God, whatever I need to do, I am so sorry. Please don't do that, right? Because I know what delivering over to Satan means. It means God's going to remove his sustaining grace in his community, but also in his spirit, so that this person can actually experience salvation through pain like never experienced before. Do you see the trick of the enemy? The enemy wants you to think, well, if you follow Christ, you're just going to have pain. Come follow me. There's no pain over here. Wrong. What there is on the other side is pain without redemption. Pain without purpose. What there is when you follow Christ is pain infused with purpose that multiplies through you to others. And what you see is life to life, not death to death. The aroma changes. The aroma changes. Is there an area of your life where you're like, don't show the screen. I don't want to be handed over to Satan. But you're saying this, but I won't give this up. Please hear me very clearly. 
wherever you're saying, I will not give this up, you are volunteering to be handed over to Satan. You are asking to be. Here I am, send me. I'm not saying that to scare you, friends. I'm saying it because it's the reality when we're in relationship with, with, with God. How do I know that to be true? Because God is the one who says, I'm a dad. And as a dad, I discipline my kids. And if they won't listen to me, I'm going to allow them to taste the bitterness of their decisions so that, did you miss the so that in the other passage? So that they come back to me. Because the enemy of our souls is a liar. He is a liar. And he wants us to reject the way of life and believe that it's a better way because I'm in control. That hasn't worked from Genesis 3 on, friends, and it ain't going to work for you. The enemy of our souls is a liar. But the one who saves our souls is a lover. He's a lover who calls himself our Abba, our Daddy, who says even in those seasons when you are in rebellion, I want you to realize I'm still in control and I might be disciplining you, but it's for a purpose. And where I've seen that play out in dramatic fashion, two ways I want to share with you this morning. The first is when I've had the awful privilege of walking through parenting with other parents who have children who are addicted to drugs. Because friends, in case you missed it, that's exactly what's in view in our passage for this morning. Addicted to the drug of self-gratification. Addicted to the, the drug of self-aggrandizing. Addicted to the drug of self-justification. Addicted to the way it makes us feel. I'm in control. I've got the power. When you never do. Ever. What ends up happening when you have a child who's addicted to drugs is they start lying to you and they start stealing from you and then they start putting you in danger. And the only way forward, friends, at that point is to cut them off. Hand them over to Satan so that their soul might be saved. Let them experience the ramifications of their own addictions so that their eyes can be opened through the breaking of their own hearts so they might taste and see the bitterness of God and at the, I mean the bitterness of sin and at the very same time taste and see the invitation of God to come back to what they were always made to know and experience, which is his love. I've seen this come full circle in many lives when in the middle of it, it feels like hell. But it's not, it's worse. It's heaven. Because you see, hell only puts enough on you to keep you trapped. But heaven puts enough on you to break you. It hurts more in the moment but it's so you can be broken free and made whole. And I've watched as young adults in their later 20s and early 30s have come back to their parents and thanked them 
for handing them over because nothing less than that would do. The heart of our Father is the heart of the Redeemer. Here's the good news for us, friends. As captured in that first letter to the church in Corinth, do not be deceived. Stop there for a second. What have we been saying about our enemy? He's a, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. This whole thing is about being deceived. The reason why we're addicted to these things is because we've been deceived. Paul says, do not be deceived. Listen, neither the sexually immoral. What's the sin in view in our passage for this morning? Sexual immorality, the, the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop for a second. We hear that and we say this, that's ridiculous. That's not good news. That feels oppressive. That feels wrong. That feels like you're casting people out. Did you miss what we said from the beginning? This is our Father who made us, saying to us, I don't want you to be deceived. Even though the culture around you is teaching you that if you feel something, it must be good, so go ahead and do it. Culture of self-gratification. I'm here to tell you that's not how you were made, and those are all lesser desires. The chief desire that you're actually going after don't miss this, is me. And none of these other things will ever satisfy you. You were made for me. How do I know? Because I made you. I'm your maker. And until you come to me, none of these things will actually satisfy you. But don't miss why this is good news. It's not just good news because it declares the truth in the middle of a culture that is surrounded with darkness. It's good news because he says, and such were. Do you hear? see that word? Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, here's the good news. Our maker is our remaker. Our maker is our redeemer. And he's the one who gets to tell us who we are. He's the one who gets to define and to, do, to direct us. And please don't miss this. We are not our sin. We are not our sin. No matter what our struggle was. And some of you, when you looked at this list, you got hung up on one of these words. And you stayed there. And you're thinking, but wait, what about, but wait, what about, but wait, what about? And part of the reason for that is because we forgot as the church who Paul's actually talking to. He's talking to us, friends, about what it means to be the church, to be those who know that we are not our sin. But listen, who lived as though it was. This is not about them over there. He's talking to the church, to us in here about the ways that we are living these ways, the ways that we are trying to deceive ourselves and say, I follow Jesus, but really the what I'm doing is following this way of life over here, and I think the two can go together, and they don't, and they won't. There can only be one Lord. 
There can only be one savior. There can only be one king. His name is Jesus. And he's inviting each of us to come to a place, even today, of being honest with where we're choking and wrestling with this, but to see it in the context of what we've been talking about all along. Forgiveness. Identity. He wants us to then turn and love as he has loved. So he says in verse 7 in our passage, so now turn and forgive. Or as he says actually in the verse, comfort one another. Did you hear that? It's an echo back to, to, to chapter 1. Comfort one another with the same comfort that you yourself have received. So in other words, he's saying this. Towards everyone who falls into that category in your life and in this place, here's how I want you to interact with one another. Share the same forgiveness that you yourself have received. Always from a posture of humility and grace, share the same forgiveness and comfort that you yourself have received. And let me point out one of the nuances that's true in this passage that I think really bears our attention bears giving attention. Notice that he doesn't say, when they come to you, forgive them. Notice that he doesn't actually say, when that person in Corinth, who's been obstinate, who you handed over to Satan so that their soul can be saved, when they come back to you, forgive them. That's not in the passage, friends. Because when they come back to you, they're asking for reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different realities. Please don't miss this. You've heard us talk about this before. Maybe for some of you it's the first time. This is vitally important. Reconciliation is about when the other person is ready to own what they've done and come back and say, can we be in relationship again? That is a necessary process, but that is step two. Step one is forgiveness. And forgiveness is between you and the Lord. It's you saying, I give up my right to be angry with this person no matter what they've done. I forgive them of all their sins. I renounce my right to hold on to bitterness. You know why? Because bitterness is the very trap of the devil. What did we say? We are to be unoffendable. Unoffendable. Because offense is the trap of the enemy for our hearts. So when I come to someone and I say, nope, you hurt me too badly, I'm going to stay stuck in this, I am simply agreeing with the noema. It's translated schemes in our passage, it actually means mind. I'm agreeing with the mind of Satan. When I choose to stay in offense, in bitterness, towards anyone in my life, I'm in agreement with the enemy of my soul. And that hurts me, and that hurts them. And you know what that gives the aroma of in that relationship and to everyone around that relationship? It's the aroma of death. Because I'm saying to you, you're not worthy of grace. When friends, the last I checked, that's the very definition of grace. No one's worthy of it. And when I receive that from Abba Father through Jesus Christ, And when I focus there first, and when I come and bring him all of my burdens, I'm not trying to say it's easy. I'm not trying to say it doesn't crush us and kill us on some level. It's dying to self. It's picking up our cross every day and following him. It's bringing it to him so that my heart can be free and what can be happening in my relationship with that person and every other person is a very different aroma. The aroma of life. 
The aroma of life that says, you're already forgiven. It's safe to come and be reconciled. Even before you change, it's safe to come and be reconciled. Do you see that? Only as we live towards one another in that posture will we be creating a welcome mat, a welcome come home, right? Now listen, some of you are thinking, what about those people that have really abused me? What about those relationships that are really hard, that don't seem to be changing? That's a different question. You're asking a question of reconciliation. You're asking a wisdom question that when you talk about boundaries, a healthy boundary says it's not okay for you to hurt me. It's not okay, and I'm not going to allow that to happen anymore. But a healthy boundary also says, and here's how you can actually come through the wall that I've just put up with a welcome mat. Here's the doorway. If this changes, if you pursue this, if this is some fruit in your life, do you see that? Otherwise, here's what we're saying. You're irredeemable. You're different than me. I can't have anything to do with you. When the truth is, the very one that was thrown out of the church in 1 Corinthians is the same one that Paul is saying, friends, I beg you, did you hear that word? I beg you to reaffirm your love for this person, to forgive them even before he asks so that you can create a culture, an aroma of forgiveness so that when they come back, they're already forgiven and safe and ready to have the conversation about restoration and reconciliation. You see, it's, not, it's never an easy thing. It's always murky and muddy when you're talking about the details of the reconciliation part. But what's never murky or muddy is the call to forgive. Please let me say this to you, friends. As one who loves you, and as one who's walked this path with many people and in my own life. The enemy wants you to believe that the reason you cannot forgive is pain. It hurts too much. When the truth is, the reason you cannot forgive is pride. You won't die to your right to be angry. And the reason why you won't is because you're afraid that if you give up this anger, who's going to protect you? When the truth is, your daddy in heaven is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and they're safe. It doesn't mean you don't die. It just means even death has already lost its sting. It means dying to self is actually a way to go from life to life, not death to death. Where, beloved, are we struggling to forgive those in our lives, really and truly, and to renounce our rights to be angry with them because we're concerned that if we do, they're not gonna change when who God is concerned with right now is you, Amen. is us. Will we change? Will we trust him enough to give up our rights, to be right about the stuff that he talked to us about this morning? 
to give up our rights to care best for those in our world that we think we care better for than God himself? Will we give up our rights to be in control and to draw near to those that are telling us what our itching ears want to hear? Will we give up and die so that we might live? Because the one who gave up everything for us is the one who's calling us into that deeper relationship. We keep asking for more in this place. And God keeps bringing us face to, to face with the places where we just don't mean it. I want more, but not there. <laughs> I want more, but not that. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. He's called us to be a family that smells a certain kind of way. It's not this way. It's not with the stench of death. It's with the aroma of life. And that aroma smells like forgiveness. Can I pray for us right now? And ask that the Lord would actually help us to do the very thing we've been talking about. You close your eyes and bow your heads. Holy Spirit, I pray for a fresh filling and a fresh anointing for All Souls Community Church, those in this place right now and those online. You would meet each of us where we're at, Lord. As you've been speaking to us all morning, there have been names and incidents in our lives that you've brought up that we have resisted because it does hurt and it does make us scared. But today, Lord, you have shown us the deception of that fear. You have revealed the truth that it is not pain or fear that keeps us there, but pride. And so, Lord, would you forgive us of our pride? Would you open up our hands where they are fists right now in your face, saying, I will never be hurt like that again. No one will ever do that to me again. We renounce those vows in Jesus' name. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come. Would you heal the pain that is true and real inside of each of us? Thank you that you're not calling us to think that it's okay or to agree that they just didn't mean it or that we should just get over it. Those are not your words. You affirm the truth that that pain was never okay, that that abuse is never right and that you're not okay with any of it. But you also welcome us into a deeper transaction a transformation of our souls that does the very thing that, Lord, we've been hearing you say this morning. It helps us to believe in our actions that we are not our sin. I am not my sin, and I am not the sin and abuse that others have put on me. And I declare that over each of us this day in Jesus' name. We are not our sin. And we are not the sum product, the end product of the abuse that we have suffered. We reject that in Jesus' name. And we put on the truth, Lord, 
that what we are is yours. Loved, forgiven, and now empowered and called to forgive as we have been forgiven. I ask and pray in Jesus' name that you would make All Souls Community Church a place where the aroma of forgiveness and grace is experienced by all and then multiplied out. I pray that same prayer over every church in this region, over every church in this world, Lord, that bears your name, that we would have the aroma of forgiveness, that no matter what folks around us are stuck in, that they would not see or experience the church as holier than thou, but as more broken than you. Therefore, we have a savior who's greater than any of us expected and a grace and forgiveness that is for all, for all, no matter how we come in. Thank you, Jesus, for the aroma of life, even this morning. Now, friends, I want you, if you have a name or names of people that you have struggled to forgive, and the Lord has put it on your heart this morning to renounce that bitterness. I want you to go through one by one, and here's your prayer. In Jesus' name, I give up my right to be bitter towards so-and-so. And in Jesus' name, I bless them and ask for the same grace in their lives that I have received. In Jesus' name, I give up my right to be bitter with this person in my life. And I bless that person in Jesus' name that they would know the same forgiveness and grace that I have received. Would you do that now? is so pleased with you because you're taking the risk to trust him here but there's one person that some of you have forgotten to give up your right to be bitter towards and that's yourself if that's you would you give up your right renounce your right to stand in agreement with the things that have been said over you the things that have been done to you renounce your right to blame yourself to hold on to shame and guilt. Put it down and then pronounce blessing in Jesus' name over yourself. We agree with these prayers, Lord. And we stand in the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us 
as spirit bearers, that we would speak the truth in love and grow up together into Christ who is our head, that we would see Jesus in our lives and through our lives, that there would be healing and wholeness like never before, that shame and guilt would be silenced in Jesus' name, and that there would be, Lord, a different drum to march to. There would be a different aroma to create and live in life, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.